Are we recording? Yeah. Oh. I'll say yes. I didn't hear that, but I didn't hear the recording in progress. Oh. Here, I'll just say it so that recording in progress. Is that good? Does it <laughs> yeah. sound like her? <laughs> yeah, it makes me feel a little more reassured <laughs> that it's actually happening. <laughs> okay, so this is part two. Yeah, um, after we finish our episode, uh, after we finish recording it, we look back and now we have, what, 118 comments on this thread? <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, we were just which, saying we got through about seven last time, so we're going to try and race through them a bit quicker today. Which proves one thing, and that is that people are really mystified by tech. Yeah. yeah. Um, which is understandable. But at the same time, this is now part of being a voice actor. Yeah. It's really hard to be a voice actor if you don't at least understand tech like on a pretty, you know, me medium advanced level. Yeah, you have to understand the tools with which you need to do your job. And beyond that, you don't have to obsess over the details, but just understand the things that you require to get the job done well. So we're just going to pick questions at random that we feel uh, we would like to speak about. I know. Let's let's answer let's let's answer Lutz's uh, comment. Okay. Why do people have fifty six thousand mics? <laughs> <laughs> Do you need to have 10,000 mics? Like, what is the deal with this mic fetish that people have and they just yeah, want well, to buy? Yeah, well, that's it. They're fetishists. They're <laughs> fetishists. <laughs> well, people love collecting stuff, right? They love, you know, and, and microphones, they're, they're the most prominent thing in a voice actor's world, you know, that defines them as a voice actor. So I guess they feel more like a voice actor the more mics they have, I guess, maybe. The reality is... I know I say this all the time, but once you've cleared a certain bar, the quality is, yeah, a little bit here, a little bit there, but all within the range of acceptable. Yeah. There are microphones that are more appropriate for certain voices and, well, certain spaces more than voices. Certain microphones I sound better on than others, but really, like, all of them would work. <laughs> 99 times out of 100, they would all be fine, particularly when you get into the upper echelons of microphones, you know. What about singing, Jamie? Because I have a lot of friends who are singers and they record mm. themselves singing and they also want to do voiceover. And I always feel like the 416 is not a great singing microphone. <laughs> no. Because <laughs> it's really not. No. Um, but if you do multiple kinds of work with your voice, should you have a few different microphones for the different types of work you do? I mean, you can make a 416 work for singing. I mean, mm -hmm. the Tiny Desk Concert series, they use shotgun mics for the singer, so it obviously is not inappropriate. With singing, you've got much higher SPL, which is like how loud it is, like sound pressure level. So they need to be able to take more volume. Mm -hmm. So what you can do with a microphone is you can blow out, you could go over the threshold of the microphone at the mic even before it hits your preamp. So a lot of the time, even if you turn the gain down, it wouldn't change the fact that it's distorting because the mic can't handle the level. So if you're belting it out and you're close to the mic, you could blow the mic. That's why the SM7 is very popular in music, particularly in music that requires a lot of SPL. So like 
metal and you know like you see metallica like and u2 and bono's like screaming into the mic that mic can handle it so there are slightly different requirements with singing and also with singing character is more of a thing and vibe and tone and feel and stuff like that and different microphones have different characters and feels whereas in voiceover we're very much looking for the mic to just disappear <laughs> it's all about the voice and capturing the voice in ultimate clarity really so singing's a bit of a different animal and actually i came from that world and using microphones creatively rather than just as a sort of tool and it took me a little while to adjust what do you think yeah i mean i don't really know very much about microphones i just know um you know and as a person who doesn't know a lot about microphones which is many of us in this industry i just know what's what are the industry standards um, I have a 416 because that's what I see in most studios. I have a Neumann TLM 103 because that's what I saw in studios in New York a lot. Um, but I have not taken my 103 out in probably four years. Yeah. Um, if anyone ever asked for it, I have it. But have I? I don't. I don't use it. Um, yeah. I mean. The other thing is that people will require certain microphones in certain situations, particularly like video games where they're very fussy about tech. Video games have very, particularly the AAAs, they're very nervous of recording talent at home. Maybe mm -hmm. they were burned over COVID or something. So they have these real specific requirements for, you know, remote records. So they will require a certain microphone sometimes they require a certain interface because they're recording at super high sample rates and mm -hmm. certain interfaces don't do that don't offer that yeah. and microphones actually don't mm -hmm. capture that frequency those frequencies so you know there are times where professionally you do need to have those tools available if you want to compete at the top level i would argue that it doesn't make actually a lot of difference but it satisfies someone's made a list and they have to fulfill those requirements to me, I wanted to say this last time and I and I forgot, but it's kind of like wine where like there's a very big difference between a $10 bottle of wine and a $50 bottle of wine. Mm. But then once you get like between a, a $100 bottle of wine and a $250 bottle of wine, eh, yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> can you really kind of tell <laughs> the difference? Like, it, yeah. is it really $150 more delicious? Uh, maybe, maybe not. It's really kind of in the eyes of the taster, in the tongue on the tongue of the taster. Uh, it's very subjective. So it, and it just depends on, on what your preferences are. So yeah, the, it's kind of like that. But speaking of microphones, Isolde mm. Trachtenberg said, um, let, let's talk about travel setups. Um, mm. cause that's something that I think people are mystified by. Isolde wants to know what, what's your best recommendation for, on-the-go headphones and a mic that won't break the bank. I always say, if you can, I mean, if you can take, I don't understand why people take crappy equipment on the road with them when you can just keep it with you the whole time and keep it safe. Like I bring my 416 and a smaller interface and my regular headphones because at least when I'm, when I'm, uh, doing pickups on the road or if I'm doing auditions on the road, at least I have that slight bit of consistency between my home studio and and traveling. And also the 416 uh, was designed to be a microphone to be like out in the field for news 
uh, footage and it often sits on top of a, a camera as people are recording. Um, it's used as a boom mic sometimes. It's used, you know, for interviews out in the world. <laughs> yeah. um, and it's very, very durable. So it's not a microphone that like the TSA is going to put it down into the on, on the security belt and it's going to break something inside of it very easily. Um, so it's great for travel. Uh, Randy Thomas once taught a class where she showed us that she just kept her 416 like just in a little bag in her purse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would I use like, it wow. as carry on. Yeah, I'd put a keep yeah. it in carry on if you can. And for me, when I, the 416 comes in a plastic case. And if you take the foam out of the case, you can put literally your microphone, a small interface like a Focusrite Scarlet Solo. And uh, and put it all into the hard plastic case, and it's super small. It fits like on one side of my backpack, and it's uh, easy to take in and out for TSA. And yeah, if you can keep your same equipment and just pack it up to travel, I think that's the best option. Do you ever pre-warn TSA that you've got like a weird-looking bit of tech in your bag, or uh, and every does it get single flagged? time? Every yeah. single time I go through TSA, I yell, "I have a shotgun." Microphone. <laughs> microphone. <laughs> <laughs> no, every time I go through TSA, I, as my bag is going through, or I tell the TSA person, um, I have a microphone in my bag, or I take it out like you would a laptop and put it on the side. Because it's like, like I said, it's super easy to mm. just take out the little plastic case. It's all contained. I put it by itself um, next to my laptop or in a different bag next to my um, or in a different bin next to my backpack or purse. Hmm. Um, and as it's going through, I sometimes say to the TSA agent, yeah, it's a microphone in there. And then they're fine. I never get, I never get it pulled out. She also asked about headphones. And I would say with headphones when you're traveling, obviously space is a consideration if you, you know, like to just keep your carry on rather than check things in, which is what I do. But one thing when you're recording remotely is that okay, maybe you might be able to make yourself a little pillow booth, sit on the bed and th cover a duvet over your head and you can make a little isolated space, but you don't necessarily want to be editing under there. So if you have a pair of headphones that are closed back and are more isolated, so you are isolating yourself from the room, you'll do a better job editing. Some headphones where they're allowing the room tone into your head while you're recording can influence what it is that you're hearing when you actually edit back so it can give you a false impression of like noise or other things like that which is kind of annoying i'll go one step further and that is to say that when i was traveling recently with um tim friedlander for for nava and tim as you know is a studio owner and a good tech person um i made a pillow fort and made like a closet booth and all these things but i forgot my headphones so i had to buy like a really crappy pair of headphones at the airport like the best they had but it was like seventy thousand um, dollars for one pair of crappy headphones so i bought it <laughs> and i was listening and i was thinking like man this sounds terrible yeah like this sounds awful this booth is not gonna work i sent the files to tim and i was like tim take a listen to this and and say what you th tell me what you think and he was like oh yeah it's fine and i was like it's fine this sounds awful like so awful and he was like no it's fine and i was like that is so weird so he said just listen back to some of your old files so i opened up dropbox and i listened back to my old files that i had recorded in my studio and i listened back and i was like oh my god this sounds awful yeah. <laughs> these all sound awful 
And of course, it was the headphones. Yeah. So yeah. if you can bring your headphones that you're used to listening to yourself on, it will help you construct a better uh, travel booth because you will be listening to the sound that's similar to the sound that you hear at home and you'll be able to troubleshoot a little bit better. And it's just it's just better. So just bring your head, bring everything, just bring it all. Also, it might not necessarily be that it sounds worse. It's just that you're so conditioned into the way your mic and your voice and your room sounds that it, when it sounds different, you're just so freaked out by it. Like, yeah. Some headphones do sound dreadful. Also, in general, travel or otherwise, with headphones, one of the most important parts is comfort. And mm -hmm. people find different headphones more comfortable for one reason or another. You can replace the cups on some of them as well, but that is such an important part of it there's some of the headphones i think the sony ones for some reason on my head the little like metal grill within the headphones like ends up touching my ear and it's horrible it's so so horrible <laughs> i just immediately was like, ah, threw them off my head i couldn't handle it but yeah so you comfort is the key we're not really mixing anything mm -mm. we're just listening out for mouth noise room tone clicks and pops things like that which any headphone you'll be able, will be able to translate but so it's it's what feels most natural to you what is comfortable on your head and uh, also i will add i know we're going on about headphones a lot here some headphones creak <laughs> and if you're wearing them when you're recording it can drive you nuts so be wary of the the make and the the, the makeup of the headphones so they're not cracking and creaking my my headphones hold on i gotta see what they are they're sennheiser hd 380 pros sennheiser does not make these anymore yeah. And I love them and they feel so good on my head and I can't uh, find them again. So these headphones I've had for like, I don't know, seven years, eight years, and I just keep replacing the pads on them and replace because I just don't want to get rid of them because the HD 280 Pros, which are like the the model that they sell now, are super tight on my head mm. and I can't wear them all day and I wear my headphones all day. So my pair of headphones are sennheiser hd 497s and they are ancient i got them in like 20 years ago and i keep replacing the, the headphone cable because it's like a little mini jack that you can just pull out and replace and i had these when i had my studio in the uk and bands were they were dropped on the floor they were like destroyed and they're just indestructible and they still sound great so I'm a massive Sennheiser fan, but uh, anyway, we're not being sponsored by them. Massive. <laughs> we should. We should reach Sennheiser, out to Sennheiser. Sennheiser, if you want to sponsor us, you just let, you just let Mics, us know. Mics, headphones. You we'll know. talk about your products all day, even if you don't sponsor us. Um, speaking of, speaking of uh, being in a new space and being freaked out by the way it sounds, there are a lot of questions here about booths. Like yeah. purchasing a prefab booth, uh, putting foam inside a beautiful prefab booth that's not the foam that came with the booth, et cetera, et cetera. Can you tell us a little bit about when you got your studio bricks, Jamie, and the process you went through to try and get it to sound oh my the way God. you wanted it to? <laughs> I love studio bricks, but I wish they would add more bass trapping out, you know, when you immediately start using your booth. It comes with a big bass trap in one corner. And, that's and maybe great. explain what a bass trap is for anyone who right. doesn't know. So mid and lower frequency sound tends to get trapped in corners. So if you have any kind of lower res resonance in your voice, that tends to create or accentuate the boxiness in the sound of, of the recording. It's harder for that sound to be absorbed 
by regular acoustic foam or treatment of any kind. So because it gets trapped in the corners, the best bang for buck for your buck in terms of improving the sound of your space is to work on the corners to make that whole place sound better. Otherwise, you'd have to put many, many inches of foam all around you <laughs> to achieve the same results. So bass trapping in the corners of booths or really any space is, is the best way to sort of knock that down. And what you're trying to achieve is you want your voice to exist in a sort of vacuum. You don't want to hear any reflections of your voice back into the microphone. And that's how we determine the volume and size of a space is actually our brains interpret those reflections to determine how big or small a space is. So if you can knock those reflections out, you essentially are just a voice nowhere. <laughs> so what we want to do is we want to knock down those reflections evenly. So the high frequencies, the mid frequencies and the low frequencies, we want them all to go at the same rate. If you only knock out the high frequencies, which is what this sort of thin foam can do very efficiently, and you leave the mid and low frequencies, that's what makes it sound boxy and horrible and really naff and cheap, whatever microphone you're using. So you need, in addition to the high frequencies being tidied up by that treatment in your booth, you need those low frequencies to be what's called attenuated as well. So that's why bass trapping is so important. And when I first got my booth, I had bass trapping in addition to what comes with the studio bricks, but I just had to add more and more and more and more and more. And I had to get away from the ceiling. So I had to, I now sit on a stool. So I'm a little sort of in the middle, my head's sort of in the middle of the booth. Because of course, when you're stood up, if you're tall, you're close to really then you're really close to the corners again, <laughs> the top corners of your booth. So it took a lot of fiddling and I did a lot of test recordings in my previous booth. I said the same thing, the same distance from the mic at the same volume. And I was just comparing and contrasting, comparing and contrasting and tweaking, adding more these extra like panels that come with the booth already. And eventually I got to a point where I was happy, but there was a lot of tweaking. And I know you had a similar thing too, right? When you got yours. So when I got mine... We moved like in the middle of COVID and I just, uh, my booth was set up without me being present while we were moving across the country. And it was a situation, you know, COVID was such a crazy time where like all of us, every single project that existed in the world had to be redone uh, to fit COVID. And the only people who could work were voice actors. So we were all like just working every single day, multiple, multiple sessions a day. Um, and so when I left New York and moved to California, I literally left my booth. They took it down. Um, Sam Glovin picked it up the same day that I left <laughs> New York. Um, I arrived in, in California uh, in the night. I woke up the next morning and I had to use my booth the next day um, in my new house. So I didn't have a lot of time to futz with it before it, I just had to use it. But I also have bass traps. And and uh, just to describe a bass trap, it looks like a like a triangular shaped foam wedge with like uh, texture on on the side of it that's facing you. <laughs> so you can stick it. It's like a triangle, and so you stick it in the corner, and it and it uh, you know it's good. So I have. I was just counting. I have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven seven different bass traps in my in my studio 
in my booth. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I had to futz with it, but I think it sounds okay now. Yeah, I mean, just adding more bass traps is rarely a bad thing. <laughs> yeah. So if you got if your booth sounds boxy and weird and awkward, just try some more bass traps. I use the Leonard L E N R D Aurelex bass traps, and I find they're pretty good. I think it's about hundred bucks for two. So for a few hundred, three, four hundred dollars, you can get you know four really good bass traps, and they're pretty big. If you get the Studio Bricks uh, VO edition, it comes with one bass trap, and I really like the bass trap that it came with. Oh no, that comes as standard because I didn't get the VO oh, edition. Oh really? And I've got you didn't the get the VO trap. edition? Oh. No. Yeah. Well, I really like it. It's a good Is one. It, this it one? goes up. Let me see. For those of you listening, yes, yeah. it, okay, I'm. It, it's Same like one. a. It's like a. It goes on the top back wall between the ceiling and the back wall and it is more like a like a quarter of a circle that's stuck up there made of foam you can i mean it doesn't really have to be any particular shape obviously the sort of wedge shape is obvious because it goes in yeah, the corner yeah cuz it fits in the corner but it's just super super dense so the foam is different to the kind of foam you would get like acoustic a foam like that you would one stick inch, to the wall yeah <laughs> like this is made up of like millions of layers right you it's really really like deeply like like in a bigger room a thing that people used to do is they used to stack magazines in the corner yeah. all the way from the floor to the uh -huh, ceiling and uh -huh. then they would just put some like material in front of it and that would be just as effective yeah um so the you can make bass traps is, out, or clothes even you know could do the, the same idea thing. is that air traps sound right and 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 having something where you know it like an open cell phone versus a closed cell phone. An open cell phone, correct me if I say this wrong, an open cell phone has like an opening in it and the sound can go into it and it gets trapped inside. A closed cell phone, it, it kind of bounces off more because the cell isn't open so the sound doesn't get trapped inside the air pockets. I mean, I'm not an expert on the physics of it, <laughs> but I, I do know that lower sound frequencies have more energy and are longer waveforms and are harder mm. to break up. Yeah. Like they are just, they penetrate. That's why you'll hear your neighbor's music pumping at the low end <laughs> and not hear the, <laughs> the symbols or the high end. Or the, you know, you'll just yeah. hear that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Cars driving by. That's what you'll hear because the car is offering no protection for that low end coming out of it. Yeah. But the car's blocking, unless they've got the window open, the car's blocking all the, the high end because it's really easy to stop. Well, every so every object based on its size has a vibration frequency, right? Mm. So like if even if you this is getting way too much into the weeds, but I find it interesting. Yeah. If you even like uh do like a scale from or if you do a slide from like uh, yeah. like I can find a place in my body that vibrates my chest and my specific head and chest more than any other pitch. And and that's because that's like the frequency that my chest vibrates at. Yeah. So a car the 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 larger the way the sound wave, the larger the object has to be for you to reach the vibrating frequency. Um, this is true with earthquakes as well. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Like as the ground moves, there are certain objects that that like it hits the object and it really affects the object. Whereas if something is smaller and the wave is bigger, it kind of just rides on top of it. It's it's very interesting. Yeah, the resonant frequency of something is interesting. Like when, like for the car example, you'll sometimes hear where you know the bass is pumping or whatever, and then all of a sudden the car will just go 
it will like yeah. vibrate. That's yeah. that that frequency hits the resonant frequency of the car and it just like activates it. And it's the same in your booth actually. You'll find that your booth itself has a resonant frequency. So if you if you your voice matches that in a certain pitch, other than just bass trapping, it's probably good to find that frequency and use an EQ to just very like literally it could be like 103 hertz like exactly that frequency and then go into your EQ find 103 hertz and just dip it down and one way to find that frequency A is to sweep up and down the EQ to find if you loop your voice and boost a really tight frequency on an EQ and sweep up and down that sort of lower range, you'll find you're sweeping up and down. All of a sudden, that frequency will just jump up in volume. It'll be really clear. And then all you need to do is just drop it down a little bit and it'll make yeah. your sound, your mic sound and your whole recording sound that much better. The other way to do it is if you're good with pitch is you can get like what you did, you can get like a sine wave or something and you can go and find it in the space. Yeah. And then when the room starts like vibrating or something, you're like, you know, oh, there it that's is. That's it. And then the sine wave will say, oh, it's, yeah, 73 hertz. So we probably won't be able to make two, that. But. Two things on that topic. One, I used to have a boom arm in my booth in uh, in uh, New York that had yeah. external springs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the external springs vibrated at my speech pitch. Yeah. Which was a horrible situation because it wasn't all the time, but it was sometimes if I, if I, I don't remember exactly it, when you it reach was like a certain or, pitch, but it's like, yeah. yeah, when I reached a certain pitch, which was within the range of my speaking voice, I could hear the springs on the boom arm vibrating in the recording. So I had to change that and get a different boom arm. Um, but also this is, if you've ever seen a, a an opera singer explode a glass, yeah. That's how they do it. You have to find the pitch of that glass. You sing into the glass, you find the pitch of the glass, and then you sing at that glass as loud as you possibly can, usually with the help of microphone amplification because it's really hard for the human voice to actually break a glass. But you can do it with any glass. I have a coffee cup. Uh... Oh, there it is. There it is. There it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Now try and break it. <laughs> no, I can't sing that low. I need a bass. <laughs> All right, cool. Um, let's keep it geeky. Geeked out. We yeah, just let's keep geeked it geeky. Out. So Jonathan Grant, or Grant, as he would probably say, um, <laughs> that's a very good American accent, Jamie. Grant um, hunting down sources of RF noise caused by various tech, uh, and he elaborates on that. With I think he's got a, a UPS, which is creating it ups being an un uninterrupted power supply um so as this opposed is, to a service that delivers you packages yes sorry that's right you could get a ups from ups <laughs> um <laughs> yeah this is a bloody nightmare sometimes you've done everything right you've plugged everything in. you've got a great mic good cable into a interface kept it nice and simple and there's you're in a great booth there's no noise interruptions and yet there's still sound coming in mm -hmm. from somewhere. Mm -hmm. um, I had this actually when I got my new computer. I'm like, what the hell? Like everything else is the same and there's like, there's noise and it didn't sound to me like radio frequency interruption, but it was. It ended up being that or electrical. And what you have to do is just have to systematically go through everything in your studio. <laughs> and that includes lights and what ended up for me being a power supply. It was just a cheap like Amazon Basics power supply. And even then... 
all it was it was it was rotated in a certain place it, it had like twisted onto its side when i was messing with all the cables and for some reason that angle was creating this low level buzz that wasn't super obvious but if you turned up the volume to be you know fairly obnoxious you would hear this electrical interference but yeah it's just a case of taking things out so replacing cables moving cables around making sure they're not wrapped around each other separating audio cables from electrical cables making sure you're using balanced cables which really helps to eliminate rf as well there was a question in here about cables as well right yeah like, do you need to buy fancy cables do you need to buy your gold-plated <sighs> Mogami um cables i've never really felt that made a huge difference audio wise i mean it's all incremental right <laughs> You know, if, if you use crappy cables into a crappy mic, into a crappy interface, and you don't know what you're doing, it's all going to sound crappy. You optimize every step in the process. It maybe adds, maybe the cable adds 0.5% to your sound. <laughs> but mainly it's the, especially if you're going to use a longer run, I think you have more chance that that is going to be an unaffected sound. If you have mm -hmm. a longer cable, for example, if, you, if your booth's a long way from your computer, and I would say it's probably better to use a better quality cable. It's, the shielding is probably going to be constructed in a better way that's going to mean you're less likely to get interference and it's less likely to just stop working or be have a crackle or something if it gets moved i i think it's ridiculous to spend a fortune on cables yeah you know? no you don't need to spend a fortune on cables no. i had a cable that came with so i bought um a scarlet solo interface to take for for travel because it's small and i used to use one in new york and i liked it um and it and it came with a cable yeah. And but it was like uh, it's not the it's not the uh, uh, focus right uh, cable. It wasn't a focus right cable. It was like part of an Amazon package where you buy the interface right. and you get the cable. Um, and so uh, I had that one, and um, it just was crappy and just didn't connect into my microphone or into the interface well. And so I would be on the road and I would be like recording something and then all of a sudden I would lo completely lose connection to my mic. That's a bad cable. <laughs> so then I just overnighted myself one to a hotel. It's great. If you're using it remotely, I say there's actually more benefit to you using a better quality cable because it is, you know, in our studios, how often are we shifting, switching our cables out and moving things around? Very rarely. Where a cheap cable falls down is when it's constantly being bumped and and coiled up and uncoiled and yeah. set up and moved, and that's where it's gonna the connection's gonna be bad. The the actual um, the pins and the quality of those the soldering even sort of with the cable within the actual end of them, all that kind of we, stuff is we just gonna pronounce it soldering. Soldering, yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> There is an L in there. <laughs> I should add. There is an L in there. <laughs> so yeah, I would say, unfortunately, with uh, the RF thing, it's it's it is kind of a systematic thing. You can get these little things that wrap around that you put on cables. I've never known if they've been particularly effective to help stop RF from coming from the cable, if it, if that's the cause. And if you are literally getting radio, you've got somewhere that's like a, some kind of antenna or something that's apparently helps helps that too. But yeah, it looked like it was as UPS anyway, so that was easy fix. Let's um, let's take a moment here to plug Mr. Jordan Reynolds, who is an amazing, yeah. amazing person and has an incredible uh, uh course called the Audio Ninja Masterclass, which which I know people who have taken. And Jordan is just so entertaining to watch. He's very yeah. funny. <laughs> He's very act actor friendly, and um, from what I've seen of his course, it looks amazing. 
Um, but Jordan has a whole comment here that is very uh, good. <laughs> so let's just read through it. Should we read through it? Yeah, you do. I'm going to grab something pro- while you do. Okay. Jordan Reynolds. I'll rapid fire a few common problems I hear and see with the talent I help optimize their home studios. One, mic placement is usually too far or too aggressively off at an angle, aiming at their forehead, etc., resulting in a hollow, dull, unfocused on their voice sound. Yes, mic placement. That's a very yep. easy fix. Just yep. get closer or further away. <laughs> and play with it. Like, and you play know, with it. Yeah, it's easy. But be systematic about how you play with it as well. Like, literally, you can say into your microphone when you place it in one way, pointing at nose. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then pointing at chin, pointing from above, pointing up from below, etc. Buying a booth and only covering 30% of the carpeted walls with treatment where more like 70% needs to be covered with two to four inch foam or ideally acoustic panels instead. Yeah, so this this is an interesting one because so often I see people, especially who are just starting in voiceover, are like, oh, I wanna do voiceover. I found a corner in my living room and I'm going to set up a mic there. And then they like put some acoustic foam on just the corner of a wall and leave the whole back <laughs> open. And then they're like, I don't know. I mean, I think it sounds good. It's like, well, it doesn't, Sharon. Yeah. One thing I hear a lot is um, if you think it sounds good, it's good. Well, do you know what sounds good? No, you don't know what sounds good. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, yeah. And then also like my um, studio bricks, like the bottom half didn't have any any sound treatment on it at all. Mm. I mean, the bottom like 20%, I should say. Yeah. So yes, um, putting a a windscreen, putting it on a windscreen, the foam cover on the mic, like the foam ball that goes on top of it, and using a giant pop filter on the mic, <laughs> resulting in usually a more muffled, dull sound. There's also a product which we don't need to name, um, but it's uh, it's like a, a a foam ball that goes on top of your mic that they say will really help. Yes, it's like a foam volleyball or a Nerf ball that you would put on top of your mic, over your mic, that helps you uh, not have a booth, they claim. And really, it just makes everything sound very muffled and not good. Recording at levels that are super low. Yes, we talked about this a little bit before. Um, Make sure that you have a nice, healthy waveform without peaking. Um, workflows that waste so much time and make it very laborious for the talent every time they record. For example, recording everything on one computer, uploading it to the cloud, then moving it to another computer to edit, or doing 8 to 15 steps to apply basic EQ, noise removal, click removal, compression, DSing, when it could be applied with one click instead, or recording in one DAW, bouncing, and then editing in another DAW. (laughs) (laughs) Someone in this does that. We actually should talk about this. One of their doors doesn't work on their operating system or certain plugins within their door doesn't work on their operating system because they upgraded too early. And so they record on one and then edit on the other one because that has the features that they require. So that speaks to not upgrading your your operating Mm -hmm. system. Also, when you're buying a new computer is making sure that the computer that ships with with an operating system is an operating system that all your software can operate on. Yeah. I actually made sure when I bought my computer recently, they had one of the computers, they, I bought a Mac Mini, and they had one in the back that still had the earlier operating, the Ventura. 
where everything was approved for because it was they were shipping with Sonoma at the time and, and not much was uh, cleared for it. Yeah. So that's a different point, but I just wanted to make that while we're here. I, I would love to talk about workflow in general. Um, yeah. Uh, because that is the number one frustration that I think people have. Like they record, 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 and then they sit and edit, 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 edit for hours and hours and hours. And then they listen back, they hear themselves, they go, oh my God, I need to redo this. They go back in their booth, they record, they record, they record. And it just takes so much time. And the number one rule of efficiency is that if it seems like there must be a faster way to do this. There probably is a faster way yeah. to do this. Yeah. What you have to do is search for the faster way to do it. Um, and sometimes it's eliminating steps. Sometimes it's not focusing on something that you get really hung up about, just trying to not let yourself think about that too much because it's really not that important. Sometimes you search on Google and say, like, what's the most efficient way to sort something A to Z? What's the most efficient way to export uh, tiny file sections and label them correctly all at once? How do you batch export something so that all the files are labeled correctly? There mm. are ways to do this that are a lot faster than what you're banging your head against the wall over. Yeah, I agree. And, and, I would say you can eliminate a lot of problems that take hours out of your week by getting your space set up right day one or week mm -hmm. one. Mm -hmm. I know it's overwhelming with the tech and, and all the stuff that you have to figure out. But yeah, that, that few days of me figuring out my booth and I was scratching my head and pulling my hair out, what's left of it, <laughs> was irritating but I haven't messed with it since. Like, mm -hmm. then I got it to the point where it's fine and I don't move my mic. I, the only thing I do is adjust my gain a little bit every now and again, depending on what I'm doing. But otherwise, it's all fine. It's all good. It's done. I don't have to think about it. I'm not spending the rest of my week every single time I record trying to fix problems. So if you can fix a problem at source, maybe you have a mouth click problem. And you need to fix that. You at personally source. have a mouth click problem. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, as in at each, as a voice actor, you, the you person. as an actor have a mouth click problem. <laughs> yeah, fix that. Like that's going to save you running a de-click process every single time, yeah. and it's going to make you sound better on a live recording where you don't have that facility, and it's going to save the engineer that's working on your voice a lot of time. And maybe you just need to be better at hydration. Maybe you need to give up dairy. You know, whatever it is. You need to exercise better, lose a bit of weight. Like, I know these sound silly things, but like they have changed things for me. I used to have more like nasal, more of a nasal sound. And I realized it was because I was kind of blocked up a lot of the time. And I just mm. really had to get rid of dairy out of my life, which was mm. painful. <laughs> but it, it means I'm ready to go at all times. I don't have to fix things in post. And that's, you can take that's uh, lactate pills, you know. I don't, yeah. <laughs> Well, let's see. I don't know. <laughs> I would try, try that. It. I would try that. You should yeah, try it on not? a Friday when you don't have to record anything until Monday. The thing I found was that with dairy, it took about two weeks really to like to get to see a difference to really yeah, have to an get effect. It out. Yeah. So yeah. I, I am a. I grew up in Switzerland, and so cheese and potatoes are like. Potatoes and cheese 
If I could eat one thing for the rest of my life, it would be probably potatoes and and good cheese. Yeah. Um, and so my, I grew up and my parents had a deli and all the cheese oh. you could possibly ever have. And oh I'm, my goodness! So you would have loved it. <laughs> I would have loved it. I would have loved it. Yeah. Um, but I I can't give up cheese. I do. I drink like la- I add lactate milk to my coffee in the morning. I can't have any ice cream. And really, for me, it's not really like a phlegm issue. It just messes with my stomach. Right. Um, so, but but if I know, oh, I'm going to, you know, have a fondue night with my friends, um, I can take like a few lactate pills, which is just an enzyme that helps you digest um, lactose. And then I, I'm totally fine. I find certain cheeses okay. Like, yeah, certain cheeses are okay. Yeah, it doesn't hasn't really given me an effect. I mean, even cheese in general is okay, I would say. But milk, anything creamy, like you say, creamy, ice cream, ice anything cream. like that, not good. Not good. Yeah. You know, Shake Shack has really good dairy-free custard. Oh. Very good. I'm a big proponent of oat milk in coffee. I love oat it milk and coffee. It tastes so much better. It tastes delicious. It's so good. I also got a milk frother recently. Oh, yeah, yeah. And you can put the oat milk in the milk frother, and then yeah. you just pour it in your coffee, and it's like you have delicious latte. Kate does that, and she, she put, what does she do? She puts olive oil in it. Oh, and interesting. In the coffee, and apparently it's really good for you. And, yes. it, and she froths it up, and apparently it's really good. So. And yeah. you just sprinkle some cinnamon on top of it. Too. Oh, yeah. Why not? Why not? So good. Lovely. We, okay. Well, this is a breakfast show. We can talk about coffee. <laughs> yeah. As much as we want. Coffee and tech. Oh, why would be? Why is a reason why someone might not be able to record on their end during a Source Connect session? Oh, I think that's a PC thing. I've yeah. definitely heard that before. People, a Source Connect and certain software. I think also Twisted Wave, people have had issues with that. That is a really weird, like software glitchy thing that I am not educated enough to comment on. But I I know that's a thing. I think Audacity, uh, sorry, Audition and Source Connect doesn't play nice for certain people. Yeah. I have Audition just because I have the um, Creative Cloud, but I don't use it all that much. I'm not really a huge fan of Audition, I'll be honest, but because I, I use I'm Pro not Tools. But that doesn't mean it's bad. It just, no. you just have to use the one that works best for your brain. Yeah, people say the Pro Tools is complicated. I find Audition complicated. There's like everything's right there. Like it's all on the screen. There's too many buttons, too many things. I don't know. My OCD can't handle it. But what is the yeah. phrase? Fine for thee, not for me. Yeah, like that. <laughs> <laughs> Fine for thee, not for me. <laughs> what, and the other one that I really love is don't yuck someone's yum. Oh, yes, I heard that recently, too. <laughs> like, oh, my God, I love Audition. <laughs> That's good for you. I'm th- I love that for you. <laughs> Laura Schreiber, my constant frustra- frustration is when Twisted Wave glitches because of other programs open and running, but I need other programs oh. to do my work. Well, I would say Twisted Wave is the most important program in that chain so make mm-hmm. sure that's working mm-hmm. and if you have to read your scripts on an ipad or something prioritize your recording software you know maybe it's time for an upgrade maybe your computer needs a bit more maybe you're running out of space on your computer and your hard drives kind of straining it might simply be maybe there's other software programs running out in the background that you're not even aware of have a computery dork run through it and see if they can 
optimize your computer. Because Twisted Wave is a pretty simple program. It shouldn't be too taxing on your system. So if you've just got Twisted Wave, Source and Connect, like your and email. a script, it yeah. should be okay. Yeah, it shouldn't, uh-huh. be, shouldn't be too much of a strain. Close everything else or get a new computer. I mean, that's the other thing with like people. I saw someone, I can't remember who it was. They were asking about what computer should I get? <sighs> Almost any computer, any computer you buy today, with the exception of like, I don't know, like these like Raspberry Pi <laughs> things, any computer you get today will be plenty powerful enough for voiceover, recording one track of audio at a time and opening a PDF and running Source Connect. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty much the the most you're going to have to tax it. Maybe sometimes you're going to be recording to picture and that constrain things a bit more. If you're recording at higher sample rates because you're working on video games, maybe. You don't want your computer in your booth because A, it's going to get hot and start the fan's going to come on and B, if it starts working hard, the hard drive is going to, you know, spin up or whatever it is. Like, try and get that outside or away from the space where you're recording if you can try and do that. But yeah, any computer, like, I got the Mini M2 Pro because I, I do other stuff too. I do a lot mm-hmm. of mixing and, and things like that. But, you know, you don't have to spend a fortune on a computer these days for voiceover. The most important thing, though, because a lot of people ask, like, oh, can I use a MacBook Air because it doesn't have a fan and then it's, like, not going to make noise in my booth? The most important thing is that really your computer, the processing part of your computer should really not be in the same space as your microphone. Yeah. Because they all make a little bit of noise, even if it's not a fan. Um, So what you do is the processing component of your computer is outside your booth, and then you put just a, a screen, just a monitor inside the booth that connects to the computer outside. You can have a keyboard. I have a wireless keyboard and a wireless trackpad because I really like using a trackpad for editing versus a mouse. And But some people use like gaming, like a gaming mouse, or there are other kinds of cool trackpad mouse type devices that you can use for editing. Um, you can keep your interface in the booth with you, but you basically have microphone, interface, headphones, and a screen so that you can control your recording from your booth. Yeah. But the actual computer part that's doing all the thinking should be outside of the booth so it can think on its own without interfering with your sound. Definitely. I would also add, and this was important to me, ports. That's an important thing. A lot of these new laptops come with like three crappy ports and that's it. And it's nuts. Obviously you can get these hubs, but you're putting a lot of trust in that hub looking after your interface, your second monitor, your, you know, maybe if you've got a wired mouse and, a, you know, things like that, your hard drives, external drives, all this kind of stuff through one hub. I got the um, the Mac Mini because it's got some like, f- I think, four USB-Cs, two USB-As, Ethernet, like all of that is their separate ports on the back of the computer. And I've got everything maxed out and I've got a hub um, because I've got like three external hard drives, second monitor, like all the usual business. That is just, you're spreading your risk a little bit because mm-hmm. if you have a computer with just one or two ports on it and that port goes down for whatever reason, that can happen on the circuit board you're then screwed or you've got an expensive bill. And like I say, you're putting a lot of trust in all that data going in that one port via that one hub. It's a little, to me, it's too much of a risk. So I would prioritize ports also 
when you're picking a, a new computer? I think we pretty much got through everything. Yeah. We we answered a few questions at once. <laughs> yeah. But I think we did it. So I'm going to ask you, Jamie, what are your final thoughts? What is your final bit of advice for any voice actor struggling with tech? Try and learn as much as you can yourself and figure it out yourself. We said this in the last episode. Yeah, it's easier to go on Facebook or whatever and say, I've got this problem, how do I solve it? And someone just gives you a couple of steps just to follow, but you haven't really learned anything in that process. Actually use that as an opportunity to figure some stuff out. So next time you're not delaying a session or holding things up or frustrating yourself and spending two hours on something that you go, oh, it's this thing. I just have to click this button and that's what's going on there. Self-education in this very niche area is possible for pretty much anyone. You're not having to learn code or advanced techniques to figure this stuff out. And if it seems daunting to you, fine. Like, I get it. Like, I totally understand. If I had to learn a whole other industry and, and figure out all the nuances of that software, it would be daunting. But break it up. Break it up into small little chunks and figure a little thing out every day. And in a couple of months, you'll have everything down pretty much. And then, you know, when the unforeseen things do happen, you can absolutely ask those questions. Of course, never don't ask questions, but you'll retain more information if you figure something out yourself, I think. And save yourself a lot of frustration and time and look a bit more professional if you can just solve a problem in the moment and not be a problem for other people. You know, that's probably my biggest takeaway from this. What about you? I agree 100%. I have two things to add. Number one, capturing it right the first time is way, 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 way better than trying to fix it in post, especially if you're not 100% confident in your editing capabilities. So just get it recorded right the first time and don't worry so much about fixing it after the fact. My second thing is, is I want you to close your eyes and imagine you are a 15, 16, 17-year-old kid learning to drive a car. How daunting was that? And your yeah. life literally depended on doing it right. <sighs> if you had to learn to drive a stick shift, it was even worse because it's like this situation of like, okay, so I'm going to press in the clutch and press the brake and turn on the car and then and then the engine starts and then I lift up the clutch and hit the gas or wait, do I just keep it on the brake? Like, I don't know, what, what's the, and then I put it into first and then how do I change into second? Oh my God. So think of that and then think of you as an adult driving down the street, literally like listening to a podcast and forgetting that you're driving because you're so good at it now that you just know how to do it. That's the same with your tech. When you're starting out, it feels absolutely impossible and daunting and makes you want to cry. And if your mom was sitting in the passenger seat next to you in your booth, she would be yelling at you, stop, stop, stop. But, <laughs> or at least my mom would. <laughs> yeah. But once you get competent, it's it's just like driving a car. You'll be great at it. It will be fine. You're not going to worry about it. And it will be something that every once in a while you have to really think about. But most of the time just goes smoothly. That's it. That's the thing. If you put the effort in to figure it out early on, it's something then you never have to think about ever again <laughs> because you'll just know that and you're, oh, okay, I'll just do this. But 99% of your life will not be spent thinking about it. Whereas yeah. if you don't know that and you feel sort of burdened by this 
looming black cloud that anything could go wrong at any moment, it's a bigger part of your life. You know, it's it's more imposing that way. So you can gain the control to uh, sort of learn this stuff yourself. And like we've said, there's so many resources out there. Oh, this is the uh, plug I wanted to give. I'm showing Cara in the book because uh, why not? But you're listening yes. to this. Describe the book, Jamie. <laughs> One of the, my favorite books on tech in voiceover is written by Emmett Andrews and it's called Yay, the VO Emmett. Studio Companion. Yeah, Emmett, like he is the Don of tech knowledge. Um, but Emmett is like next level in terms of his knowledge of, of tech and stuff like that. So whenever you see him crop up online and, and make a comment, listen to what he's got to say because it's right. Um, but this book is great. It goes into depth, but it creeps the depth in there. <laughs> like it's comprehensible it, for anyone starting out or early in, the, in their journey. But it goes to, there are parts where you'll be like, oh, okay, I literally don't want to know about that. But if you read it cover to cover, you'd have a very, very broad understanding of audio tech. So I always recommend this book to people. So check out Emmett's book. We're not what is paid it called to say again? that. VO Studio Companion. And it's good to just have around as a reference. And it's broken up into the different sections that you need so maybe you've got, you don't understand EQ, so you can go and look up in the contents, oh, EQ, and he gives you a real run through of the, all the different types of EQ and how EQ works. And um, so, yeah, I, this is definitely a book I recommend pretty much everyone just has on their shelf as a reference. Jamie, what do we have coming up? Well, very exciting. Vocation Costa Rica. And that's coming up April, when, 25th 25 to 28th? 25 to 28th. Yeah. And... Um, we don't have a lot of rooms left. No. And you're visiting. Oh, you yeah. I'm going. Visit. I'm going to do a site visit in uh, like two weeks. Yeah. Less than two weeks. On the 20, 25th of January, I'm going. Great. Yeah. Yeah. So pretty much, yeah, bang on two weeks. So Yeah, two weeks, two weeks. We can't wait to see that. I'm very excited to see it I'm on the ground. I'm very excited to be there. I'm bringing my, my family my two little kids, they want to see some sloths. So we're going to see sloths and monkeys. My older one thinks she wants to zipline, but she <laughs> actually really does not want a zipline. It's going to be one of those situations where we put her on a zipline and she'll be like, ah, I want to go home. And then, but my little one who's four will want to zipline and will be great at ziplining, but she's probably too little to do it. So <laughs> we're going to try and do a pod from there. You yeah, I. let's do That's it. We'll try and do it poolside, poolside pod. Poolside pod, and maybe I'll have the kids tell you about their Yeah, their adventures. Yeah, that yes. sounds good. Okay, well, that was <laughs> All fun. All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks, everyone. And we'll be back. Bye-bye.